Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Need to get anything from this series is that whenever Jesus went into the temple, it's paralleling in a way what God wants to do in your temple. Come on, say amen. So whenever Jesus goes into a house, say house. When he goes into the temple, right, and does certain things, he also desires to do that in your house. And not just your physical house, but your spiritual house. Okay, and so this is, I'm just going to do a quick review of the last two weeks, and then we're going to dive into this scripture here. Uh, the first week we talked about when Jesus went in the temple, there was four things. Say four things. Now let's see if you remember. There was four things that Jesus did when he went into the temple, right? When Jesus went into the house, he what? He cleansed the temple, which is symbolic and prophetically, spiritually symbolic for us allowing the Holy Spirit to cleanse our temple from things that do not belong there, right? We've identified things in our temple that have been there that God never intended for it to be there, whether it's complaining, whether it's gossiping, whether it's lust, right? The Lord wants to cleanse his temple, He wants to prepare the temple of the Lord. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that Jesus did when he went into the temple in the first first teaching of this series is what? He canceled everything that did not belong in the will of God by overturning the chairs and the tables. And we had a symbolism of what the chairs were symbolic of and what the tables were symbolic of. The chairs were symbolic of comfort. Whenever you are sitting in a chair, is a comfort place. And, and, and the tables are, are symbolic, just for those who you're not here, of the money changers, of things that they were banking on that was not from God. Come on, say amen. And so Jesus came into the house and overturned the, the laziness, the passivity, the, the, the comfort, and he overturned what we were trusting on that was not in him. Let me just give you a pause. You will be frustrated all your life if you try to bank on something that is not of Scripture. If you're trying to trust in something that's not of Scripture, you're going to be frustrated all your life. If you're, if you're trusting more in your bank account or your job to give you happiness and to give you stability, you're going to be frustrated. And so he did these things. The Bible says the, lion, the, blame, the, the, blame, the blame, the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them in the house. Now last week, everybody say last week. There were three things that we highlighted that Jesus did when he went to the house. Number one, the Bible says when he went into the temple, watch this, he taught them. Oh, that was powerful. That was powerful. And we talked about the need in this hour for sound biblical teaching. The Bible says that in the early church, they, they did four things. They, they listened to the apostles' doctrine. That's teaching, right? They fellowshiped. They prayed they, uh, together. But one of the things that caused the church to grow was sitting in sound doctrine. There is a need, church, for us as believers to be grounded in biblical teaching because the Bible says the very elect will be deceived. So we have to be grounded in biblical teaching, and we have to hunger for biblical teaching. The Bible says that in the last days that those who don't hunger for biblical teaching will, will raise up teachers with itching ears, telling them what they want to hear. So biblical teaching is so important because it gets us from, from receiving what we need to hear rather than what we want to hear. Come on, say amen. The next thing that Jesus did is that when Jesus went into the house last, last week, we talked about this. He gave us a fresh compassion for the lost because when he went to a certain house, he talked about the, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Then again, the last thing he did is that when he went to the house, the Bible says he healed. Come on, say healed. 
every sickness and every demonic spirit in the house. You know how I know this? Because it also says he was in the house. And then the Bible says that the whole city was at the door. All right. So that means there's certain things that God wants to do when he comes into your temple. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make you free from not only um, sickness, but from every demonic attack in your life. Come on, say amen. Which leads me to this next part three. You're going to love this one. There's going to be two main things, two or three main things I'm going to highlight when Jesus comes into the temple or to the house that I believe he wants to watch this restore in your house. He wants to restore certain things in his temple, not just the temple of worship here. The temple in your house, which is your life. Can I hear an amen? So I want you to put the first thing up here, the first slide up. Before I actually, before I actually preach, I want you to the first slide up there, the first slide when Jesus comes to our house, no, that was uh, last week. That was last week. I'm, talking, I'm just going to say it. When Jesus comes into your house, he restores worship and intimacy in your house. So we could get that slide up. When he comes into the house, everybody say in the house, he restores worship, say worship, and intimacy in our temple. When Jesus comes to the house, he restores worship. I want to talk a little bit this morning for a good part of our lives how God wants to restore worship in your life. An active lifestyle of worship to the Lord. He wants to restore worship in the temple, true worship. Come on. If you look at the Old Testament King Josiah and, and all the righteous kings, one of the first things they did when they tore down all the altars was restore worship, true worship, because there were false worship in the house, and now there's true worship. Now, I want you to see this beautiful story that has an, a beautiful allegory and symbolism of worship. Extravagant. Everybody say extravagant. Worship. I, I, before I give you this scripture, you and I must get to a place where we are falling in love again with Jesus, and we are, con we are consciously going to a private place to worship our Lord. Now watch this. Mark chapter 14, verse 3 through 9 in the NLT. Look at what it says. It says, meanwhile, Jesus, I'm going to preach a little bit here, was in Bethany at the home, at the what? Come on. That means in the house. Jesus is in the house again. Jesus now was in the house right, of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman, by the way, this was Mary, if you look at all the other chapter, the, the books, a woman from Bethany, which was Mary, came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit already. Made from the essence of nard. She broke, everybody say broke opened the jar, and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive, say expensive, perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly, but Jesus replied, leave her alone. 
Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. Now, I want you to see this. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial, death and burial, ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's story, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Now watch this. This is going to be really powerful today because Jesus went into the house of Simon and he started to reveal a real important principle in our lives. He talked about, the, he, he saw that woman with the alabaster box pouring perfume, very costly perfume all over Jesus. And pouring the very expensive perfume on and oil on Jesus is prophetically and spiritually symbolic of pouring out our worship and our love extravagantly to the Lord. Pouring out the oil and the perfume that was very costly is a prophetic spiritual analogy of pouring out our love, our thanksgiving, our gratitude, our honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why? Because whenever we worship, we are honoring the Lord. Okay? And so in, in biblical times, just to give you a backdrop, in biblical times, that when a young woman arrived at the age of marriage, right? When she was like at the age where she can get married, not necessarily was getting married, but when she got at the age that she could get married, her family were by her an alabaster box in, in, these, in, in these times, right? And they would, they would work very hard to save money to put the most expensive, purest perfume fragrance oil in that box. And as you read in the scriptures, that worth... The worth of what would the contents of the, in that box was a year's salary, a whole year's salary. Imagine saving up a whole year's salary. Some of you made sixty thousand a year. Some of you make ninety thousand a year. Some of you make one hundred twenty. Some of you make forty. Whatever your yearly salary is, imagine taking that, storing that, and in your mind, you're going to take that to use it for your retirement. You're going to use that for your to, to pay some bills. But this person in the old times would actually take the alabaster box and when time was ready they would pour it out to the 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 man the person right that they were eventually going to marry but it was a sign of honor and gratitude when when it was time for that marriage and this is not saying that mary was doing that as an act of marriage this is symbolic of mary doing that as an act of honor and thanksgiving to the lord now watch this. This is very powerful because that, that pouring out of that perfume oil is, ex, is a sign of extreme honor and extreme gratitude. That's what worship is. Worship is positioning yourself to give extreme honor and extreme gratitude to the one who died for us. And it's that, and our worship is like fragrance unto the Lord. Our prayers is like incense to the Lord. Our worship is like perfume, and it's like, our, it's just like fragrance unto the Lord. Oh, this is so powerful. And here's the thing that I want to start cranking up this morning, that this perfume wasn't an ordinary perfume. It's something that she had stored up for a whole lot of time, and it was very costly. Are you ready for this? True worship is not only pure, but it's costly. 
Watch, watch. True, true worship is not only pure, it's costly. Why? The Bible says, and I will offer up a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. Why would, the, why would the Bible say a sacrifice of praise? Why is it a sacrifice? Why is worship costly? Because it's costly to your flesh. Worship is costly to your flesh because every time you get in a position of truly worshiping God, God then takes the presence of God through your worship, that, that perfume that you give up, and he releases his presence and it tenderizes your heart and it kills your flesh. It starts killing your flesh. When you are in a place of continual worship to the Lord, you can't help but your heart to be tender before the Lord. I have never seen anybody that truly is worshiping God in, with all their heart to to be angry and be bitter and their hearts are continually hardened without being changed if you're truly worshiping God. Because when you worship the Lord, my God, the flesh in yourself begins to start getting crucified. As a matter of fact, sometimes you have to crucify your flesh so that you can continue to worship God without hindrance because your flesh is your biggest enemy. Your flesh, the devil is not your biggest enemy. Your flesh is your biggest enemy. And so the Bible tells us, he, he gives us a sacrifice of praise. Say praise. Say sacrifice. This woman was showing an example of restoring true worship in the temple, in the house. Why? Because it was costly. And the Lord said to, 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 to the story, to leave her alone. It was costly. And spiritually, it's costly to our flesh. In the Old Testament... Watch this. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice of praise, you know what it was? It was taking an animal and killing it and burning its flesh and putting it on the brazing altar. That's what, it was. That's what they would do. They would take an animal. Watch. The sacrifice of praise and worship. They would take an animal, they would kill it, and then put it on the brazen altar. And in that fire, in the brazen altar, would burn the flesh. That's the, that's the first thing and the item of the tabernacle before they even were able to go any further. They put the brazen altar in there, and then there was the laver with the hands. And then they kept going to the, take me past the outer courts and to the holy place. That's what, past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. That's an oldie. You, listen, 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 enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. So, so what, why was the animal sacrificed? Because it wanted to deal with the flesh. And, and, it's a sacrifice of praise. Of praise. So what Jesus wants to do is restore the sacrificial praise and worship when even when our flesh says, I don't want to do it, that we get into a, into a place where we're in constant communion with God and dare we say that we worship God. We limit worship to Sunday morning and we limit worship to songs. Now, what I'm talking about today is mostly worshiping in song and in adoration, but you worship God with your lifestyle. You worship God with your giving. Come on. You worship God with your holiness. That's that's how you worship God. With your character, you worship God. But God wants to restore true worship where you and I, when's the last time, don't raise hands, I know it sounds awkward, but when's the last time you got alone in your house, not at church, and put something on and begin to weep at the presence of the Lord because you started worshiping and singing? Come on, come on. 
You know what that does? It tenderizes your heart. And yeah, you may have like two kids running around or five kids running around. And you may have uh, lost your job. But the moment you decide to worship God in your house, in the temple, and thanksgiving starts coming out of your heart and worship to God, you know what that does? It almost seems like for that moment, all your problems goes away. They may still be there, but for that moment, the, the level eight of your problem became like a level one or a level zero. Why? Because you're fixed with the peace of God that comes from the presence of God through your worship. Come on, somebody. Tr every, say this with me. Say, true worship causes our flesh to die. I'm going to say it one more time. Say, true worship causes our flesh to die. I'm going to prove it even further. Did you not read in that opening scripture what Jesus hinted about the alabaster box and that perfume being poured on her? What did he say? Oh, come on. You missed this revelation. He said, leave her alone. That pouring of that worship, that pouring of her life savings, that pouring of the very costly perfume oil is for my death and my burial. In other words, she's preparing me for the cross through the alabaster. She's, she's preparing me. That's what Jesus said. Spiritually speaking, true worship will start dealing with your flesh. We don't talk about flesh a lot at, at, at church. But we also, Paul the Apostle says that there's a lot of carnality because of our flesh. Come on, say flesh. You know what the Bible says? The mountains burn like wax at the presence of the Lord. You know, how, how, many, how many remember those Hosanna songs? We're back in the, come on, some, we just aged ourselves, right? right? There was a song that says, the hills burn like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Psalm 97 verse 5 says, the mountains burn like wax at the presence of the Lord. If the mountains can burn like wax at the presence of the Lord, surely our hearts could start being tenderized at the presence of the Lord through worship. Because when you worship, it invokes the presence of God faster than anything I know in, my, in your life. Let me tell you, if you want to get into the presence of God, there's many ways you could study, you could read. But my opinion, one of the greatest ways to, that, that God created to open up your heart like a flower so that he could do his work is through worship and song. I just, there's something about how he created us that when we are worshiping and singing, we could be like this, and all of a sudden he starts chiseling away, chiseling away, and all of a sudden the spirit of God comes upon us, and listen, listen, and then our hearts become tenderized. If the mountains can burn like wax at the presence of the Lord, I, here, here's my little challenge for you. If you find yourself having a hard heart lately, if you find yourself not being moved lately by anything, by no preaching, by no teaching, by nothing, you're just like a zombie. And I don't say that disrespectfully. You've become a zombie in the spirit because of your hurt or whatever it is. I guarantee you, start getting alone, even in your anger, and start learning how to worship God. Whatever it is, put a CD on, put an iPad on, put your, put your, put your cell phone on, and, and, and go to that one music or that song that used to move your heart. And I guarantee you, if you give God a chance and you start worshiping, something will begin beautifully to happen in your heart. Even when everything in you doesn't want to do it, let me tell you, God wants to restore worship in the temple. 
That's why I love, he, he, he's magnified through our praise. Actually, our worship magnifies him greater. The Bible says, David says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us, what, exalt his name together. Now, I, how can I magnify an all-inclusive God that is bigger than he is? I can't magnify him any greater than he is in the universe, but he can become more bigger in my life through my worship. That is absolutely true. The, you know why? Because John the Baptist knew this principle of worship, what we're talking about here. He says, when he was baptizing people and he saw Jesus, he looked, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. He, Jesus must increase in my life and I must decrease in my life. You want to know, you want to get to a place where you really start worshiping God? Start decreasing your, how you feel about yourself and start increasing how you see Jesus. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. When you worship, he becomes magnified in your life. Come on, say amen. amen. Now, now watch this. This is still talking about worship here. Now, this story of this woman is a prophetic picture of not only restoring worship one time. Oh, you're going to love this. It's not just restoring worship a couple of times in your life. This story of the alabaster box or the woman in the alabaster box is prophetically symbolic of restoring continual worship in your life. You say, how do you get that? Because the Bible does not say that this woman was able to open a little, flat, a little knob and close it and be able to control what comes out of that flask because it's very costly and very expensive. That's what we do with God. Because we know our flesh is really high, we open a little bottle of worship and we give them just a little bit, but we don't want to give them too much because our flesh is, is greater than our desire for God. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that this woman was not able to control what came out because she didn't open the jar. She broke the jar. And when she broke the jar, that word broke is the same broken as when I looked it up. I couldn't believe it. Where Jesus said he's come to heal the broken heart. That word means centribo in the Greek. And centribo means shattered to pieces. That means when she broke the flask, she flask, the jar, she shattered into pieces and everything came gushing out without control. God wants to get us to a point where we pour out our heart, our soul, and without control all to the Lord. Even our frustrations, come on, even our embarrassment, even our shame. He wants to, to us to, to release that. You know what? Sometimes we're just too pretty to worship God. We're just too sophisticated to worship God. Some of us don't want that ugly cry to come out. <laughs> but let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. When David was seeing the ark of the Lord, and, he, and he's already a, a king, and he's dressed in, the, in, the, in, this, in this nice robe, when he was seeing the ark, he started twirling around. And, and parts of his garments started coming out. Why? He was dancing and worshiping because he knew the presence of God was coming back to Israel. And I find that anytime we have true worship in your house, and ex especially extravagant worship, people will start to really look at you and judge you because of your passion. Just because your passion doesn't mean you're better or, no, or, or, or walking in more victory. But I find the people that are judging passion is because they don't have passion. And I love what David said, you know, that Saul's daughter said, oh, look at the king. Look at the king just dancing and, 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 and all that. Look at the king rejoicing. Could you imagine saying that? That's like saying, look, 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 at, look at the pastor worshiping God like that. Well, we're supposed to. 
We're, look, at the, look at the president of the United States doing that. We're supposed to worship God. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Don't, you're not going to be able to take God out of in this place. Listen, this is what, G, what David said. He says, I praise God that God chose me over your father. And watch this. And I will be more undignified than this. <laughs> he said, you think you've seen me worship radically? You haven't seen nothing yet, baby girl. You're going to see me more undignified. Why? Because I'm not doing it for you. Here comes the goal. The more undignified you are in worship, the more it will reveal that you're not doing it for other people. Because sometimes we hold back our worship. And I, this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about worship, right? The, the, we, we, we hold it because of our reputation, all right? And so we are those jars. If you, if you actually want to get even more scripture about it, we are that alabaster box. The Bible says we are the jars of clay. That's why when Sammy, you were, you were talking about that jar right there at the, at, the, the, uh, at the song, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm speaking of. Jeremiah chapter 18 says he told Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. And in the NLT, the potter, the, the, the pot was, was called a jar. And he, rem- he said the jar was being marred by the potter, and it got broken, and then it got remade. And then the Lord says that jar is the people of Israel. We are the spiritual alabaster box that God wants to break so that we could, so listen, so that our worship could gush out to the Lord. Don't hold back your worship. Listen, I, I, I was talking to my wife the other day, and this is really cliche-ish, but this is so powerful. I want you to think about this. Just think about this. Just think about it. When we come to church, when we come to the local church, the word of God is for you. Worship is for him. Listen to what I'm about to say. Right now, God is not saying, man, I didn't know that. That's good, George. Son, Man, that's good. Where would you get that from? Oh, I got it from you. But you know, When I'm preaching, it's for you. God is not necessarily moved by my preaching, but he's moved by your worship. I was talking to my wife, and we were saying worship is the only thing that really we can give God that belongs to God. If we understood a revelation of who we're worshiping, we would not be holding back our worship. That woman risked her reputation. She risked everything. You know why? Because, watch this. I'm going to go a little deeper now. Now, this is just speculation, right? But I've heard some commentaries. The Bible says that Jesus was in, in the house, right? But... But earlier, Jesus was really everything. He was in that, you know, he was like, this is Jesus. We have to make sure he's there. But the Bible says in one translation, because I looked at it, that he was kind of leaning back. Like he, the, if you look at it, that he was kind of leaning back on a chair. It was a, it was a sign of comfort. But here's a prophetic sign that I see in the church. Have we become used to God? Have we become accustomed to God? Hey, Jesus is in the house. I mean, it's no big deal. Jesus is in the house. He's, he's kind of with me all the time. He's in the house, and everyone used to serve him. Everyone used to kind of do all these special things to him. And this woman, Mary, came who, who, who got encountered by him before. And without anybody saying anything, she took the, this very expensive alabaster box and broke it over Jesus. And I start thinking to myself, have some of us become so accustomed to Jesus that we've stopped worshiping like we used to worship? He's just kind of one of the fellas now. He's just kind of plopping up in the chair. And it took one woman to demonstrate 
what worship is supposed to be when Jesus is in the house. And all these people said, hey, why is she doing this? And Jesus rebuked them. All right? Jesus rebuked them. So if you start pouring out your pain, your frustration, your song, your embarrassment, you will see that the things of God will start shifting in your heart and your heart will be tenderized. Can I hear an amen? Come on, can I hear an amen? As a matter of fact, there's hardly anything that God Almighty seeks after because he is almighty. He's like the good old preacher said, he's God all by himself. He don't need anybody else. Right? Right? He's God Almighty. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And so he doesn't need, even in Isaiah, he says, what kind of house will you build for me? I've built all these things. He goes, where is the house that you will build for me? But there's a couple of things very small on the list that God Almighty, an omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful, almighty God seeks after, and it has to do with worship. Out of anything that Jesus Almighty seeks after, it has to do with your worship. Everybody say, my worship. Come on, say my worship. Out of all the things, come on, say it. Out of all the things that God can search after, he searches for my worship. Watch this. John chapter 4. Some of you guys know this really good. John chapter 4. Actually, you know what? Put that, put that slide up there. Since the Lord is almighty and omnipresent, there are very few things that, that he seeks after, but what he does seek after has to do with worship. Now look at John chapter 4, verse 19. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Now, verse 19 in the New King James says, says this. Look at this. We know this, but let's read it again. The woman said to him, again, I'm skipping a lot of the story because we would be here for a long time. This is the story of the woman at the well. You know this story. He came. He wanted a drink, right? And all the disciples left. And they're like, hey, why is she he's alone with a, with, a, with a woman, and then she's like, he's like, hey, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You have five husbands. That's what he said. He says, and the one that you have now is not your husband either. Talk about the fear of the Lord. He's like, she, and she goes, you must be a prophet, right? So that's what it says. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you must be a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. See, some people relegate worship to a place. Come on, come on. We call it place of worship, right? And we only relegate worship to church service. So this is what this woman was thinking of. She was, she was a sinner uh, having already f not, five men that weren't even her husband, and one of them she was sleeping with that wasn't even her husband either. And then he's, he's, she, she's trying to school Jesus on worship. She's like, hey, hey, isn't it true that we worship here? It's a place. It's a, it's a place, right? And look at what Jesus says. Our fathers worship, the woman said, our fathers worship in this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem, again, a place, is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, it doesn't have to do with place. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when, come on, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I could break that phrase down for a whole other hour, but I won't. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The Father is seeking, he doesn't need anything, yet he's seeking such people to worship him for God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit oh I, I think I'm preaching better than you're saying amen this morning listen 
God is seeking, he's seeking those who are worshiping in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and he's searching after those, by the way, that are worshiping in spirit and truth. That has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with your ability to sing. Has nothing to do with you being on a worship team. He, he didn't say, I am seeking worship leaders, worship pastors, worship. <laughs> he's saying, I am seeking people that love to love me and use that language to thank me in worship. That's what I'm thinking. Now watch this. Here really comes the good part of worship. Why do we need to restore this? Because not only our love for God, but here's the beautiful thing. True worship. Everybody say true worship. This is going to sound preachy, but it's very good and it's very true. True worship will change the atmosphere that you're in. I know, I know, I know. I've heard that before. No, no, no. But you haven't practiced it enough for it to resonate in your heart. Because true worship, come on, put that slide up there. True worship will change any atmosphere that you're in. That means if you are living in a toxic atmosphere, if you begin to worship before that toxicity ever starts manifesting, that presence of God through your worship could actually change the atmosphere. And I'm going to prove it to you in a second. It could change the atmosphere of the whole house or environment that you're in. If you are working in a very hostile environment, you get there a couple of hours early and you begin to worship in your car. You begin to worship in your office before anybody there and guess what those people will start coming in and say I don't know why this is here but I feel the peace of God up in this place you say oh that's just preaching no here is the thing that I want to share with you the apostle John the, the four apostles they wrote the gospels in the light of how they viewed in the perspective of how they viewed certain instances the apostle John actually says the same thing that the apostle Mark says about Mary but he says something very specific and I want you're going to shout because Mark left this part out but John saw the same thing that Mark did and he saw something different watch what he saw John chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Here comes John looking at the same story, describing the same story of Mark. But watch what he says. Then six, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Watch this. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary, see? There it is. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. Are you ready to shout? And the whole house was filled with the fragrant oil. The whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Not a room in the house. Come on. Not a couple of rooms in the house. Not just the living room. The whole entire house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume from the worship of this woman that was desperate. Guess what? If the whole house was affected by the fragrance, that means anybody that comes in that house or was in that house is able to be affected by the 
worship and the presence of God from that person's life. Why am I saying this? Because some of you are in a really bad environment, but you can change the environment. You could shift the atmosphere. I'm telling you, through worship, there's times where we're in prayer or we're in worship or someone sings, and all of a sudden the atmosphere changes. I could be going through some pain. I could be going through some anger, and all of a sudden I'll put this worship song that I don't even know. Do you guys know that when, when you go in your car, sometimes it, like the, your, your car will get like a random song. I'm like, that's not the song I like, right? And the other day he put this, put this song, this old song. I'm like, I don't even know how to do my playlist. I began to weep and cry because I had, not, I had not felt the presence of God like that in such a long time. And sometimes when you truly get lost in worship, you don't ask for anything. You just, you just, you just love on Jesus. You just keep on loving after Jesus. Worship is so important and vital for our spiritual life. And I fear that in our intellectual society, we have lost the art of worship. Some of you don't like to do it because you don't like to hear yourself. You don't like to hear yourself sing. It has nothing to do with hearing yourself. It has nothing to do with how well you could sing. It has to do with the, the fragrance that's coming out. And there's two things that stood out to me in this story with John. Number one, she honored him at the highest level because the hair of a woman back in those days took time to grow, and it was her honor. It was her honor. The hair of a woman, even to this day, is her honor. And she replaced her honor and wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. But it wasn't just her hair. Her hair was dipped with the oil, with the fragrance. And, he, and she broke it on his feet, symbolic of honor, honoring the Lord. Can I hear an amen? What does that mean? No matter what situation you find yourself in, church, no matter what place. Listen, if some of you are getting bored in service, you need to wake up. If you're getting distracted, that's your fault. You need, to get, you need to undistract yourself and realize that God is trying to speak to you. Whatever is toxic, toxic environment, sinful environment, fearful atmosphere, a dry atmosphere, come on, just start pouring out your love. Pour out your song. Pour out, pour out your frustrations to the Lord like that alabaster box. Not being able to control it. That's what God wants. Don't be able to control. Don't try to put a flask on your worship. Break it. Come on, let it, let it break and let it come out of you. Because when you do, that's when you start seeing the closest of God like never before. Which, which leads me to the next point, the next slide. When we begin to have a lifestyle of worship, here's one of the results of it. When Jesus comes into your house, he restores communion and close fellowship with us. So not only does worship crucify your flesh, not only does worship honor the Lord, it brings us closer to God. And Enoch walked with God and was not. That's all you kind of hear about Enoch. What a, what a resume to have. That would be great to have on my tombstone. And George walked with God and he's not here anymore. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he shows me I'm his own. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives. You ask me how I know he lives. Come on. He lives within my heart. But watch this. It's a communion that is birthed through worship and devotion. So one of the goals of, of God when we worship is because he longs to be close to us. 
He longs, that's why Paul says, he says, I long to know you in the fellowship of your stuff. I long to know you. Every great man of God and woman of God in the Bible long to know. Now, now watch this. I want to say this with, with really, I want you to see how communion and fellowship fills us with that closeness. But I want you to see a story that we all know, right? And it's, it's found in Luke chapter 22, verse 7. I want you to think about this, because we, we always talk about the Last Supper, but I want you to know, I want you to see what Jesus, it, it, this is mind-boggling to me. If you or I knew the, the gravity of what was about to happen to us, like Jesus knew, I guarantee you we would try to think about how we could numb the pain. We would be plotting in our head and in our mind how we could get away from the most horrible torture ever known to man. And Jesus knew he was about to be crucified. He knew that in about a day or so, he was going to be feeling the most agonizing. He knew it. Imagine you know what God is, what, what, what kind of pain you're going to go through. And they tell you, hey, in, a, in, a, in, a, in 24 hours from now, you're going to be whipped. Your veins are going to be exposed. Your bones are going to be exposed. Blood is going to gush out. They're going to put a crown of thorns on your head. And it's going to, it's going to scrape everything in you. You're going to have splinters. You're going to carry the cross. And then they're going to nail you. Your nerves, the, the high-ending nerves in your hand and your feet, you're going to have nails through it. And you're going to be alive for six to nine hours before you die. And you're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. If you knew that was happening to you, you would plot ways on how you can numb that pain, how you could escape. Watch what Jesus desired when he knew all this was going to transpire. All right? We're talking about fellowship. He's restoring fellowship and communion with the body. Luke 22, verse 7. Are you getting something? Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare a Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will greet you, carrying a pitcher of water. Watch this. Follow him into the... Into the... Follow him into the house when he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, Teacher says to you... Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he, sh- he showed you, he will show you a large room. Jesus was prophesying this. Where I, um, a furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had, Jesus said to them. And they prepared the Passover. Watch this. Now l- listen to this, guys. I want you to see what was on Jesus' mind when he was preparing the Passover, which would just, in less than a day, he would be crucified, okay? When the hour had come... He sat down, and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, oh, gosh, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In other words, you have no idea how long I've been waiting for this moment. You have no idea. And I can almost imagine, like, the angels are going, what's what's going on? Doesn't he realize what's going to happen in less than 24 hours? Doesn't he know what's going to happen? I can imagine the disciples saying, wait a minute. He talked about some death, and and he wasn't even thinking about that. He said, I have longed for this moment to eat with you one last time. 
The heart of Jesus is to always commune with his people and restore the fellowship that he wants. Listen, that's why in Matthew 7, Matthew 7 is all about relationship. Matthew chapter 7 says, many will say to me in that day, have I not prophesied? Have I not done? Many of you, I hope that you don't hear this, but you guys are really good at doing the work of the Lord, but not knowing the work of the Lord. The Lord of the work, sorry. You're not knowing the Lord of the work. Didn't, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Yes, you did. You did do all that. Nevertheless, I never knew you. Do you really know Jesus or do you know church service? Do you know Jesus or do you know church etiquette? Do you spend time with Jesus or do you spend time in church services? You can fool people, but you can't fool God. Listen, 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 watch this. I have longed to sit with you. Now watch this. If you go to verse 19, he, see, he took bread. He thanked, he gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup. This is Jesus, the Passover, doing Passover. Jesus, the communion, giving communion. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus was having communion with his disciples, and not one time did he say, can anybody get me out of this? I'm about to die a most horrible death, but I have you on my mind. I want to spend time with you. You are so valuable to me that I'm not even thinking about it. As a matter of fact, this is very therapeutic to me. I long fellowship with you. Yeah, in a couple of hours, I'm going to be whipped. Yes, in a couple of hours, I'm going to be uh, uh, punched like no other man, and the face is going to be twice as large, and I'm going to be crucified. But I'm not thinking about that right now. I want to enjoy this moment. Can I be honest? I would not enjoy that supper at all. If that was me, I'll be like, Are you kidding me? When I knew what was coming up, the anxiety that would happen to me, not Jesus. He says, I want along with you. You know what worship does? It brings you closer to him. He died to restore that which was lost, which was communion with Adam, with Adam that was lost. He died so he could commune with us. He not only wants to restore communion with each other, he wants to restore the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. These early apostles knew something that we don't have because they ended their exhortation. They ended their letter with something that we think. I used to read right over it. I used to say, oh, my God, that was great. Let me skip the, let me skip the salutation and the greeting part. But they're so important. The very last thing in 2 Corinthians that the apostle Paul says was actually a revelation of his communion and revelation and, re and relationship with Jesus. You know what he said? He goes, I'm going to leave you with these three things. Put it on there, Zach. 2 Corinthians. I'm going to leave you with these three things, Corinthian people. May the grace of the Lord. Woo! I, I'm going to end it with this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May the love of God be with you. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. I'm praying that the grace of God will not leave you. That's my prayer for you. That's how I'm closing this, this book. I want the love of God. My prayer that the love of God, you will know the love of God. It'll be with you all the time. And I want you to understand the mystery of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit once again. They knew something about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we know nothing about today. He said, may the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you. How is that possible? Through worship and intimacy with God. 
we've lost the art of being intimate with the Lord. We're a bunch of doers, but we're not a lot of sitters. He wants to restore the fellowship that we have. The Lord desires, say this with me, the Lord desires for us to be close to him in fellowship and communion. I want the worship team to come up here now. The worship team can make their way back there. You know what happens when, when you invite someone for dinner in your house? You usually want to spend time with them. Is that not correct? When you invite someone to dinner in your house, it's symbolic of an intimate setting of deep conversations with somebody. Listen, I'm not going to just invite anybody to my house. I'm protective who I bring to my house. But the people that come to my house and actually eat with me, guess what? We open up our hearts together and dining, dining together speaks of close intimate relationship and an invitation for fellowship. And in Revelation chapter 3, it says something so powerful. Put that up there. As we as we as we're going to get closing, Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door to their house, their temple, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. There's an invitation going out to the body of Christ for supper with the Lord, with fellowship with the Lord. I believe one of the things that he wants to restore in our lives is our quiet, devotional prayer time and love life for the Lord. Our our love for the Lord. Remember when you first got saved, you would go into your room and you would put a, if you're as old as me, a tape. (laughs) And then, or you would put a CD and you would just listen. And I I never forget, I never forget. I've said this before, but honestly, we have lost this. And I'm bold to say we have lost, a lot of us have lost the art of, of fellowship with God. We know scriptures, and we know truth, and we know giftings, and we know songs. But have we sat down at his feet? Has, have, have we become a Martha generation, or have we become... A merry generation where we're, we're breaking that alabaster box on his feet. And we re- he wants to restore worship. When Jesus comes back, every tribe, tongue, and nation will sing. Calling unto Jesus. In heaven, right now, the angels are singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I just want to just say this. I had other things I'm going to share, but I just don't feel led to share them. There was, there was a couple of things I wanted to share, but I'm going to do that next week. I really feel like we need to stay with worship. God wants to restore worship in our lives. And I'm not talking about on a Sunday morning for 35 minutes or 40 minutes. He wants to restore that place where you go into your secret place and you begin to play a song and you begin to worship. Because then, watch this, the atmosphere will begin to change in whatever you're at. In your job, in your house, 
in your business, you could get there early and begin to worship God. And the fragrance from your alabaster box can absolutely change and charge the atmosphere. When you do that, your heart will become tenderized. Number two, your flesh will be crucified. And number three, you'll begin to have fellowship and communion with God that he wants. He wants communion. He wants that place of intimacy in our lives again. I know that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to some of you. But I guarantee you the most refreshing times you will find in your lives, in the midst of your storm, and in the midst of your chaos, and in the midst of the, the swirl around your mind. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, having risen long before daylight, Jesus went into a solitary place and he prayed. He sought God. I believe one of the things that God wants to restore in our lives is that good old-fashioned worship that good old-fashioned desperation of the woman of the alabaster box that poured out all her savings on Jesus, poured out all her love, poured out all her extravagance and, and, and honor to the Lord and to that whole house was filled. Ask the Lord to restore that with you. Could you come on, just close your eyes right now. Lord, restore worship in my life. Restore intimacy with you restore the fellowship of the holy spirit do you see jesus at the last supper with you you were on his mind in the last supper you were on his mind and he's saying to you like he said 2000 years ago even before he suffered i've longed cuz one day i'm going to i'm going to dine with you i'm going to fellowship with you i've longed for this day i've longed for this day to be with you but we get up and we get dressed and we go to work and we eat our breakfast and we run and we come and Jesus is ignored and we come back and we do the same thing. We get, we run and we gut and we do and we, and we evangelize and we preach and we teach and we, and, we, and we do all that stuff. But God is calling us back to a, the heart of worship for it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. For it's all about you. I want you to stand up right now all over this place. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord. I feel the presence of the Lord. Jesus. Jesus. Come on, lift up your hands before the Lord and close your eyes. Jesus is coming to your temple. And he's restoring worship in your temple. And the Lord says, don't listen to your flesh that says, why is this oil being wasted? It could have been given to the poor. God is calling his people back to walking with him, talking with him. Come on, to spend time with him. Come on, I'm speaking to myself, church. He wants us to spend time with him, not just doing Christian duties. He wants us to worship. Listen, there's a time to pray and intercede, but there's also a time to just love on God. Just love on God, just worshiping God, just love on him. Come on, lift up your hands right now as we sing. God wants to restore. As we sing, I want you to worship with your whole heart. I want you to worship and don't look at your clock and don't look at your watch. I want you to, I want God to restore worship, to tenderize your heart. Come on, lift up your hands right now. Ask God to restore worship in your life. Ask God to restore praise, the sacrifice of praise. 
Jesus. Go ahead, guys. I'm the canvas and the clay, and I know nothing has been wasted. No failure or mistake. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas and the clay, and when I doubt it, Lord, remind me I'm wonderfully made. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the about the sound don't worry about the song just connect with the Lord right now don't look for any problems right now in our service just close your eyes right now and focus restore worship in our hearts God restore praise a lifestyle of worship say something really quick before I dismiss you the Old Testament there was a battle raging and Jehoshaphat was at the many you know this thank you for tuning in for more information about us please visit remnantchristiancenter.com